This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. And this has been a huge story for years now, years and years and decades. But uh, a lot has been happening in Michigan politics, big stories that have actually sort of overshadowed a huge development in the Line 5 story. Shana, this is a subject that you covered a lot uh, when you were with MLive in your previous uh, position. Again, this is huge. This is I feel like line five is something that continues to haunt me wherever I go, because (laughs) when I was at NPRN, I covered a lot of the line five saga. And for those who are uninitiated somehow, line five is the oil and gas pipeline that runs through Michigan and more importantly, for a lot of people under the Straits of Mackinac. And it is something that a lot of environmental advocates have been calling for it to be shut down. And before I left MLive, Everybody thought that maybe that was what was going to happen because Governor Whitmer's administration uh, essentially said, hey, Line 5, you are not following your easement. Uh, Line 5, I should add, is owned by Enbridge. And she said, Enbridge, you're not following your easement, so you got to shut her down by May. And that deadline has come and gone, and Line 5 is still running. Mm -hmm. So... To unpack all of this, we have brought on the man, the myth, the legend, Garrett (laughs) Ellison, MLive's really acclaimed environmental reporter who covered Line 5 before I got there. He's back on the Line 5 beat again. Garrett, welcome to Mishmash. Hey, thanks for having me, and I appreciate such a warm welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Garrett, uh, give us the real brief sort of summary of uh, what's going on right now and why Enbridge thinks that it's okay to keep running uh, oil and gas through this pipeline uh, when the administration's saying, hey, you're actually trespassing on state land now. Sure. So, you know, this has been building for, you know, as Shana mentioned, since uh, November, uh, when the governor uh, issued an order, said, you know, we're revoking the easement over noncompliance with uh, the easement rules historically. Um, and, and so Enbridge pretty quickly said, well, no, uh, uh, state of Michigan, you don't have the authority to do that. That authority or less lies with either the courts and or the federal government, meaning the uh, Department of Transportation, it's known as FIMSA. They're the federal pipeline safety regulator. So Enbridge goes, FIMSA doesn't have a problem with our pipeline. It, it says it's uh, uh, safe and, and you know, there aren't any issues with it historically. So until FIMSA says something or a federal judge, we're just going to ignore what you're doing, state of Michigan. And oh, by the way, we think it's illegal and unconstitutional and all kinds of you know, various uh, arguments about you know, trying to um, essentially push back on what the governor uh, is doing. So that's been, you know, that was that all that stuff was has been kind of going on on in the background. And what else? The other thing that Enbridge has been doing has been sort of beating the bushes in the uh, Canadian government uh, and in in Canadian uh, business and economic circles, uh, putting a lot of pressure uh, to you know, get like people like the mayor of Sarnia, Ontario, where the pipeline uh, ends up after it leaves Michigan, it crosses the St. Clair River and uh, ends up in Sarnia. So you've got a massive petrochemical uh, complex over there. Uh, Line five feeds a lot of that would be um, the fuel stocks that that transports. And so you've got the mayor of Sarnia and then you have politicians in Ontario and then you have the Canadian federal government going, hey, 
we, we really rely on the, uh, the fuel that this pipeline transports and you can't just shut it down. We, that would cost, that would mean job loss in Canada and that would, you know, pinch, uh, uh fuel supplies. It could cause shortages. Uh, we, airports rely on this refineries rely on this, et cetera. And so there's been a huge ramping up of, of rhetoric and attention and whatnot in the Canadian media, um, over, uh, uh line five. Um, and so it all sort of culminated last week when the deadline uh, to shut it down uh, that had been uh, imposed by Governor Whitmer came and went. And obviously the pipeline is still operating. So, um, you know, it's it, it was marked by some activism. But in terms of, you know, legal action, not much happened. There was some rhetoric on Enbridge and um, Governor Whitmer's side. She threatened to seize profits uh, from the continued use of the pipeline after May 12th. And so nothing has been done in that, you know, that she hasn't, the state of Michigan hasn't moved to do that yet. They're still in mediation with Enbridge, but you know, that's kind of where things are at right now. So it sounds like as far as like where the administration is at, they're kind of in a holding pattern. Have you heard anything about, I guess, what the plan is or was this sort of call for the shutdown? I mean, was there actually no teeth behind it? Well, so the it sort of depends on how you define teeth, I guess. Um, the state of Michigan, you know, the, the governor's administration and then uh, the attorney general's office, you know, say they had the state has the authority over, you know, to, uh, you know, say no to a pipeline that crosses state owned bottom line. Right. And so their argument is that just because the state of Michigan said yes to this pipeline back in 1953 uh, doesn't mean that, you know, it it can exist in perpetuity without the state's permission. Uh, And so there's a legal sort of, you know, question here as to, you know, what, um, you know, what authority, uh, how much say does a state, uh, you know, in the United States have? over something like this that exists in its waters. And so that's, you know, why, part of the reason why uh, a lot of people are looking that this, you know, believe that this is going to end up being resolved in court somehow, uh, you know, before a federal judge, um, most likely, although there's some attempt, uh, the state is trying to have, you know, one of the cases um, moved back uh, to state court where they've got sort of a home court advantage in Ingham County. And so that's sort of yet to be determined. Um, so it's, it's really complicated, but I mean, it, it's suffice to say that, you know, right now, like sort of the investment market doesn't really see a shutdown as a very likely possibility. I was just reading a column um, earlier this morning, which sort of, you know, kind of gamed out the scenarios and sort of you know, decided, you know, that right now that the likelihood of a shutdown is, is actually pretty small. Um, and so that's sort of where the business, you know, market is right now on this. They're looking at sort of concerns over the pipeline being shut down is a little bit overcooked. Uh, they don't see the state of Michigan as, you know, being able to follow through on this. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's different than, you know, other high profile pipeline cross-border pipeline issues with Canada, right? Like Keystone XL was a pipeline that hadn't been built yet. You know, um, Standing Rock is a pipeline that was under construction. You know, Line 5 has been there for 68 years, right? So it would be shutting down a piece of infrastructure that has been in use for a long time. So, you know, it's, everybody's kind of in this place where they're watching what's going on and 
trying to figure, read the tea leaves and figure out well, what could happen and what might a judge, you know, decide and where's this even going to end up in court. And so it's, it's very much up in the air right now. Garrett, I'm curious, one of the groups that I feel like uh, has been very outspoken about this entire issue and we haven't been thinking a lot about or enough about are the tribes in Michigan. What are they saying at this point and what role are they playing uh, moving forward? Because uh, we're also dealing with treaties here, am I correct? Uh, Yes and no. So um, the tribes in Michigan um, and in in the region basically are really no friend to, to Enbridge or this pipeline or, you know, oil pipelines in general. Um, so there, the Bay Mills uh, Indian community up in the uh, Eastern upper peninsula, uh, they actually, their tribal council uh, passed a resolution banishing um, and this pipeline in Enbridge from their, uh, you know, their, their treaty ceded lands, um, you know, and that it, in the tribal realm, that's a really uh, significant action. Uh, you know, it, it isn't something that's undertaken lightly, but unfortunately due to the sort of the legal, um, you know, the way the tribal reservations and tribal governments interplay with state and federal governments, they can enforce that banishment, right? They don't have the police power to just simply go to Enbridge and say, you know, shut her down on their own. They need the federal government or the state government to enforce that banishment. So in some ways it, it is symbolic. Um, but, you know, the, the, the tribes in Michigan are, are pretty united in opposition to Enbridge, which, uh, you know, they remember, you know, they're, they're closely allied with the environmental um, movement in Michigan against the pipeline. And they remember when the Line 6B uh, spilled in the Kalamazoo River back in 2010. And they, you know, they, they, that's only, uh, you know, a little more than a decade ago. And it was a pretty visual example of what can happen when a, a oil pipeline in Michigan, you know, spills and, you know, has a major impact on the environment. So, you know, that... You know, that, that's really the thing that comes up, you know, when you talk to tribes, when you talk to environmental, uh, you know, advocates, um, you know, who are worried that, okay, so what happens if the 68-year-old pipeline were to spill in the Straits of Mackinac, where the current, like the, the amount of water that goes back and forth from Lake Michigan and, and Lake Huron under the Mackinac Bridge, the volume of it, it, it you know, exceeds the a volume of water uh, or the flow rate um, over Niagara Falls on some days, right? I mean, it's just an enormous amount of uh, water moving back and forth. And sometimes and it, it can go, uh, you know, in, the currents can move in one direction near the surface and another direction, you know, closer to the bottom. And so a spill would be, depending on the day, could, you know, uh, quickly move out into Lake Michigan or it could quickly move into Lake Huron or it could inundate Mackinac Island or it could move down the coast. And it's just a, it's kind of a nightmare scenario. And this is something that environmentalists and tribes have been warning about for years. Uh, like, this is what could happen. And, and there's been various models to suggest like, okay, so if there was a, a spill under the ice during the winter, how easy would it be to even get to the oil? And it, you know, the, 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 the outcome is essentially all most scenarios that I've seen, you know, they, it, it's like maybe 30% of any oil spilled in the Straits of Mackinac could ever be recovered. And that's just based on sort of industry standard uh, practices, 
you know, of any oil spill in water. It's just, you never get it all. In fact, you never even get most of it. And so the tribes up there look at this as sort of an existential threat to their historic territory, right? We have this oil pipeline that we don't like that crosses under this, you know, this ancestral sacred waterway to us and it's getting older and it's had all kinds of, you know, damage, damage, uh, from it's had damage from anchor strikes. There's been uh, issues with coating loss on the pipeline. There's been issues with compliance with the easement, uh, long unsupported spans created by erosion underneath the line on the lake bed. And so they just sort of like, we're done with it. We don't, we don't want this threat anymore. And, you know, we, you know, we shouldn't just have to sit back and, 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 you know, have no say in the matter. And, and that's really, I think, what the perspective of tribal governments is right now. Now, you mentioned quite a few of the sort of things that environmental groups point to for, like, why this pipeline should be, why they believe this pipeline should be shut down. It's, you know, it's had anchor strikes in the past. It's, there's been other spills uh, from different lines that point to how, you know, devastating a spill of Line 5 could be. But what do does Enbridge and, you know, sort of the other people who support the line, what is their big rationale? And I guess, is there ever a way that these two sides could see eye to eye on line five? Well, so Enbridge, um, (laughs) Enbridge uh, argues that the pipeline in the Straits, you know, the segment of the Straits, right? It's actually underneath the Straits of Mackinac, this pipeline splits into two smaller pipelines and then, you know, joins back together um, on both, both ends, right? Um, and so Enbridge says, you know, look, these pipeline segments have never leaked under the Straits, right? In, in the UP and in, in uh, I think, parts of lower Michigan, there have been some minor spills. I think overall, Line 5 has smil- spilled about a million gallons of oil in its lifetime, never, uh, you know, at, at, in the Straits of Mackinac, though. Um, and so Enbridge goes, look, we've never, it's never had a problem. Uh, the federal government says it's okay. And, you know, it's a vital energy supply to refineries in Detroit and Toledo and Canada and lots of jobs uh, rely on this. And it delivers propane that people in the UP and lower Michigan use for residential heating. It delivers fuel supplies to Ontario and in eastern um, Canada. Um, Lots of jobs rely on this. I mean, it's they're making the economic case basically that this this pipeline is 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 a vital link um and you know there's no you know there there isn't a concrete reason you know that's the that's sort of the words they use the state of michigan hasn't provided any concrete evidence to suggest that it's unsafe um and so but at the same time they are saying okay well look uh we we recognize that people see it as a threat so we'll build a tunnel and we will uh, replace the pipeline in this big utility tunnel underneath the Straits of Mackinac. And we can, you know, uh, that way, if there's a, ever an issue with the pipeline, it leaks inside a tunnel. And that tunnel obviously doesn't, you know, uh, keeps it from getting into the water. And so that's like in Enbridge's mind, and, and I think in the business uh, sort of community's mind, that's the compromise, right? That's the way to keep the Straits of Mackinac safe from an oil spill. And so, you might think then that, you know, sort of the environmental community goes, oh, okay, cool, we'll do that. That's not the case. They don't want the tunnel either. And I, I think 
the the argument on in that the argument there is is a couple is sort of like two or threefold um and as i understand it it's a it's going to take a long time to build that tunnel uh and so the threat of you know the pipeline remains during that time um and b why are we investing in more oil and fossil fuel infrastructure at a time when you know we're trying to move away from that stuff due to the impact of global climate change and just sort of the natural market for fossil fuels over time you know as renewables become more ascendant and cheaper and you know more viable and take over more market share just investing in in fossil fuel infrastructure in their mind doesn't make sense um i think the business i think the mark the wall street market investors see it see it differently see you know <laughs> uh, a billion dollar a 500 million or a billion dollar tunnel is probably you know not that big of a deal for enbridge to build and then you know the oil keeps flowing and um you know sort of sort of the third un largely under the radar issue is that you know as uh as oil infrastructure you know as as fossil fuels maybe decrease as uh energy uh provider over time they will they're expected to increase in the production of plastic um and so you know over time it, maybe if we're shutting down coal plants and natural gas plants and we're using less oil you know we're transitioning to electric cars and we're just using less fossil fuels the plan is not for fossil fuel um the plan is not for fossil fuel uh, providers and distributors to, you know, extract less. It's to find another market for it. And right now that market is, you know, the production of plastics. And so that is essentially sort of the business case for keeping the pipeline open, right? We need that uh, fuel supply to, uh, for raw material for plastic production. Garrett Ellison is the environmental reporter for MLive. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us all of your wisdom on this very long-standing issue. <laughs> yes, happy to uh, come on and, and talk about it. I've been uh, covering this pipeline for a long time, it seems like. <laughs> well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in. 